Hey everyone, welcome to the fourth episode of Demand Thinking. In this episode, Chris and I had a conversation about how to decide what to build, who decides what to build, and sort of the struggle and the transition out of a situation where teams are overloaded with too much to do. And in particular, we get into the question of what's the relationship between a product manager choosing specific projects to take on and having some kind of a higher metric or a strategic vision coming from higher up in the company? And what do these things have to do with each other? This episode uses some terminology from my book, Shape Up. So if you're not familiar with the terms betting and shaping, then you might want to take a look at basecamp.com slash shape up. All right, let's listen to the conversation. Hey, Ryan. Hey, Chris. You wrote me talking about um, betting as a topic you had in mind. Yeah, I've had a couple interesting things happen uh, this week. So one, um, I was catching up on the Des and Paul at Intercom have a new podcast that they're doing. It's like really kind of bite-sized 20 to 30 minute things. And they did one on um, outcome focused product development. Like, you know, like everyone's saying like you need to focus on the outcomes and all that sort of thing. And, and they, they did like a little bit of a provocative thing. Like, is that really the best way to, best way to go? And then, so I listened to that and they had another conversation with a, a product manager out there in Chicago, actually, who was telling me about um, how they form projects and the objectives that they have in mind and how they prioritize and, and things like that. And it really, um, some interesting contrast started to pop up between the things that I was hearing Paul and Des say and the things that this other product manager was saying to me and the way that we do it at AutoBooks based mm -hmm. on, you know, shape up. So I thought that would be a kind of an interesting topic to, to dive into. Yeah. So what, 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 what's the contrast that popped out at you? So the biggest thing is um, we, so Des and Paul made reference to um, actually kicking off a project by focusing on a metric. And um, if, if I got the spirit of it right, it, it had something to do with like, um, um, the, like say the number of users that, a, uh, that an intercom account sort of had enabled, right? So like I got my marketing guy, I got my sales guy. And like it, it, so they, they talked about the time when they actually went in and said, we're going to do a project just to figure out how to take this number up, right? Mm -hmm. And they, so they got their designers and it sounded like they had a bunch of people sort of like working on that. And they said it was like a little bit of a weird way to go into the project. And I don't think they liked the way that things um, sort of resulted or, or sort of ended up. And, and it, it actually got me to reflect on the, the way we, we do it is um, we have a key metric that um, basically my function focuses on. And you can think of it like it's, it's a pretty simple SaaS metric. It's like monthly active users. There's a lot more detail that sort of defines what active means and things like that, but it's, it's kind of the traditional metric. And um, the way that we actually pick projects is not by staring at that metric and like using that as a starting point. It's actually like using all the other information that we have about the product. So it's like, we have our, we have our jobs, right? Like what we believe um, customers hire our product in order to do that helped us arrive at that, at that metric. And then we basically take all the information like, uh, you know, user interactions, stats about the product, things that we've experienced when using the product ourselves, support inquiries as, as they come in 
and sort of all of that information to um, start shaping work and you know building that hopper, all with sort of the ultimate OKR in mind as we as we shape, and then we use the betting table and the OKR as like the filter. So we will have said, you know, we saw an area. So like I'll I'll take it at books we're an invoicing software, right? Like the actual view that somebody uses to create an invoice, like select a customer, add products, things like that. Somebody will come to the betting table and say, I have this information, support center requests, different ideas, things like that, um, that has um, sort of alerted me to the fact that there's an opportunity to be had here, right? And I've used that information to shape up this pitch and basically outline the different improvements and then at the betting table, we're actually saying, and this is how it ties back to our OKR. And this is how we actually believe that doing this work will ultimately move the active, uh, the monthly active, um, active user number. So there's I like, see. I feel very nuanced, but it's not, you don't start with the number and then sort of get everybody around the table saying, what, what are your ideas? You define the jobs and then define the number that you're going after and then sort of go off into, into product world, right? And use all the other inputs that we're always taking advantage of. Yeah, so it, it kind of reminds me of um, when we talk about sort of kicking off a project that's way too abstract. Like if you kick off the project and you say like, go build the calendar or whatever, and then yeah. the team has to do, if you push all the discovery down to the team under deadline, then you're putting them in the wrong, they're in the wrong position to do the wrong kind of work. like under the wrong yeah. type of like time constraint. And so what I'm hearing there is like, we might have a certain number that we, we know that we need to improve or want to improve, but having that number as a goal isn't a project. And we don't actually know what to do yet. Like, so mm -hmm. we might, we might have this thing, like how are we going to, how are we going to change this number? But having that in mind doesn't mean that you actually know what to do. And until you actually get a project idea to, together that, that, is going, that is actually going to affect that number, you're not ready to go to a team and actually say, go do something yet. I, I, yeah, I, th I think that's right. And then I, <clears throat> I also think it's, it's um, sometimes it's, man, I don't know, we're, we're really in like murky territory now, I feel. But like sometimes it's, it's difficult to go straight from in a number to a solution, right? Like there's yes. all these, and then, and the, the other thing is, is like, God, I don't know how to say it. Like time is wrong. Like, I feel like I get a different result. <clears throat> if I were to take my, like, I could go out today and I could grab a designer and engineer product manager. And I could say next week, this is your thing. Like, I need you to goose up this like number of invoices sent. Like we're going to mm -hmm. attack that, attack that problem. There's something about bounding time in that manner and like getting them to really dive deep into all that stuff that is extremely different than um, anchoring a product strategy on a key metric and saying, we know if this number goes up, the business is going to do good, right? And that's like a sort of a long running thing. Mm -hmm. And then allowing people to go out and gather information as time is flowing forward and sort of letting those ideas crystallize. And then when the time is right and they have enough information, come to the betting table and say, I've had this hunch for six months. 
I've been doing the, 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 the work of collecting all the things and talking to support and doing all this stuff. And like, this is the bet. I actually feel like this area of the product will have this impact and, and, and this ultimate um, effect on the business in, in terms of the key metric or key OKR. There's something, I can already see you spinning. There's like a systems view of this. There's something going on where the time scale changes everything dramatically. Yeah, so um, I, I don't know how to, do, I, I like being in this territory because I don't even know what words to use exactly to describe it, but I'm getting a lot of pictures in my mind right now. Um, you know, there's, it has a lot to do with um, whether you are in a, in a situation where you actually have a, a closed target that you're pursuing of like, this is the thing to do and this is, this is what to build and this is what to do and not to do, basically something shaped or something open-ended where it's exploratory. And it seems like having a number, if, if all you have is a number, you are in open-ended exploratory territory. Yeah. Where it's like, we don't actually know what to do, but we know that if we find anything that feels like it's going to impact this number, then that's the thing that we want to put more energy into. Mm -hmm. It's kind of a, it's kind of a, like what Taleb calls a convexity thing. Like yeah. you're, you're, you're playing around and you don't know what's going to pay off. So you're making lots and lots of little explorations. But then if you feel like you strike a little bit of oil somewhere, then you want to dig deeper in that spot. But the, the, the thing is that you, the very nature of wandering around to see where you're going to strike the oil, to have the idea that's going to move this number, mm -hmm. you, 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 you can't set any kind of expectation about that up front. You, you don't know, you don't know what you're going to find or what you're going to come up with, you know? Yeah. So here's an example. We, um, we at Basecamp um, used to have a really high position in uh, Google search results for something like project management, you know? Mm -hmm. And um, in the, in the, you know, like 15 years that have elapsed, there's a ton of other people who have come into the game and, and some of them have put way more energy and, and effort into SEO and content marketing than we have. So we have a really healthy business with a lot of people coming in through word of mouth or, you know, I, I used, I used Basecamp at a past company or this kind of a thing, but we don't have a ton coming in right now who are searching for something. And then Basecamp comes up on the first page. That's not like where our traffic is coming right now. Mm -hmm. And so we identified that as something that that's sort of like the number in this, in this situation that we're talking about, like what's, we want more people to come in, not via word of mouth, you know, not because they used it in the past, but because they're just searching for, 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 for help and they find us on Google. Right. And you can say that, but we don't know how to do that just by saying it. Mm -hmm. So, um, so actually I'm, I'm doing a round of customer interviews right now and I screened the, the, the candidates for people who, who found us via searching in some way, um, or at, at a minimum, actually, because we, we don't have so many um, that I could easily recruit to do that, but we have a few. And then also recruited some people who just found us by word of mouth, but who had never used it in the past, didn't, didn't know anything about it before. And the whole thing is, we don't, we don't, we don't know what projects to form in terms of content to write or, or I don't know, some sort of marketing initiative. Like what would we, what would we do to get in front of people more who've never heard of us? Um, but now that we're doing the interviews, I'm, I'm, 
I'm, I'm digging in really, really deep into, you know, uh, how did you start looking when you, in the case of people who spoke to a friend, like what, what did you say to them? Like, how did you describe what, what you were looking for and, and those sort of things. And we're getting all this language out and we're hearing stories about the people who did sort of find us through a weird path, you know, like some review site and then somebody else mentioned us and then, and then they, they auto completed something in the Google search form that led to a comparison page, blah, 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 like these gnarly little paths. But then we're asking them like, well, what stood out to you when you first saw Basecamp on that page? And they're saying, oh, it was the words internal communication. And that meant to me, blah, blah, blah. And now, so now we're getting really uh, actionable ideas for what we should be saying on the, on the, on the homepage that we're not, or out of, out of a whole bunch of sort of SEO type projects that we have entertained maybe doing. Mm-hmm. Now we're sort of able to narrow the field to a few that actually feel, they start to feel juicy, you know, yeah. like, oh, that comparison page we talked about, actually now I kind of feel like I know what to write about there, you know? Mm-hmm. So, so I feel like I'm, I'm right in that spot that you're talking about where we don't know what the next project is. We have a number we want to move. We don't know how to move that number. And, but we have a lot of inputs to help us sort of maybe f- get to the point where we can shape a project that feels like it might actually do that. So the number really is kind of this, um, this filter criteria as we're exploring what projects we might do next to tell us like, okay, if, 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 it, if it fits that, if it moves that thing forward or if it, if it helps us get closer, then that's the thing we want to, to do more shaping on right now. Yeah, I'm, I'm, um, I should pause before I, I jump to judgment, but the, um, I'm curious to see if um, deadlines and time crunches are the result of a lot of the stories that we hear about um, like diving in and chasing a number and then not being happy about what comes out of that sort of, of project. The thing that, that actually was really interesting to me in your, in your description was someone decided that you could take the time to go figure out demand yeah. And I, I just think that is fundamentally rare. So, so I, I like uh, back to my story about a week, like if I, if I give people, I want the invoice number to go up, you've got, and, and I don't even need to be that provocative. You've got a month, two months, four, four months. The inclination of working against a timer is to go to supply side tools, right? Let's look at our existing stuff. Let's look at the competition. Let's start to come up with some ideas. And it actually brings me back to the conversation I had with this other um, product manager um, they had a, like a mobile thing, like a number of returning visitors to their, to their mobile application or mobile, mobile website. Right. Um, and, and in that conversation, one of the things that he really pointed out was there's no way that I was going to convince people like, let's go do interviews or let's go like you mm. know, sort of have, have exploration at that level. Cause project gets scoped, everybody gets excited about it. And then we start to throw, you know, sort of throw energy at it. Wow. Dude, that's huge. That's huge because this, this ties to a bigger pattern, which is that um, I'm hearing this over and over again as I talk to teams since ShapeUp came out. Leadership keeps pushing discovery down to the teams inside of time boxes. And this again and again, like produces such a, such a, it, it's just, everything is wrong in that situation, <laughs> you know, because you give a team a deadline 
And you're like, in this deadline, you're not only supposed to build something, but you're supposed to even figure out what the right thing to do is. Yep. And, and you're, you're under a ton of time pressure and you're having really difficult conversations about how to make the right trade-offs of where to focus. And you don't have the right people who are able to ask the right questions and do the right kind of work in that. So th this is hard to describe. I mean, like we, we, the solution is simple in the sense that like, we know what we do with shape up is we, we take, we push all of that, that big open field discovery work outside of the time box. And we do it before we actually create a time box for a team. Mm -hmm. Right. So I, I almost Why? feel like, oh, go Sorry. ahead. How what um this might be an impossible thing to answer how, how did how did there become a cultural norm at base camp that certain people um would bear the responsibility of placing bets so so i think what you and i are describing is like there's a very clear um definition of responsibilities right you you've got folks at base camp who say i'm going to spend my time doing jobs interviews like you're, mm. you're like you're doing and, and sort of looking at the market and, and, and doing visionary work saying this is where um, this is what I think the definition of project management is and where I think we can take it and what communication looks like today and where it should be in the future. Uh -huh. And, and they take that work all the way down to the point where they say, I am um, willing to stake my reputation, my work, sort of all that sort of thing on the idea that this bet is the right bet to make. And that's their responsibility. And then on the other side of that equation, there are people who do the work on the execution who say, I'm very good at engineering and I'm very good at design. And um, I will stake my reputation on taking that, that um, well-formed but not delivered idea and, and pushing it out into the market. And now we have like very clear separation of, of responsibilities. I, I highlight that whole thing to say, time and time again, I'm talking to people where, um, they're describing extremely frustrated product and engineering teams. And when I try to peel back those responsibilities and say, who's making the decisions on what to build and who's making the, and who's actually you know, responsible for doing the building, they, they describe the situation where it's like, things are just flying at us. And, and <laughs> it, like, so the, the certain people in the organization are responsible for coming up with the ideas, but they are, you know, like one great idea after the next is coming is coming at us faster than we can than we can sort of sort them or prioritize them, and so we the the the, the product people, the designers, the engineers, are responsible for delivering absolutely everything. Yeah, and then right? you just have to play Tetris all day, trying to That's squeeze everything together into the little bit of time that you have with the few people that you have. That's it. Yeah. So I, I think this is a great question because what what ends up as clearly defined responsibility doesn't necessarily begin with clearly defining responsibilities. We didn't, we didn't get to having these responsibilities separated out by somebody saying like, we need to separate out these responsibilities. Yeah. It actually came about because we weren't focused on responsibility. We were focused on kinds of work and the feeling of the work. And I think this is really important because there's different types of work that um, like we, we were just sort of um, circling around this notion of there's, there's the shaped work where you know exactly what you're pursuing 
And then there's the sort of open field work where it's like, I don't know even quite where the project is yet that's going to pay off, right? Those are very different types of work. Not only are they different types of work that in the sense of like what you're doing, they're different types of work in the sense of like, how do you, how, what can you, what expectations can you set? What promises can you make? What, what, what kind of momentum do you have? You know, uh, how much teamwork can take place because you actually need clear boundaries of what you're doing in order for a team to, to interoperate together because they need to know what, you, what, what they're collaborating on, right? So the work feels totally different. And I think um, what, what, what I experienced in the, in the years of transition from three people to 12 people to 30 people to 50 people was that there was, there was one constant, which was um, if, if we're not building something that we, and we, and where we know what we're building and we know what it looks like to be done building that thing, then something is wrong. This was a, this was a value that we put together. Like this is the kind of work that we trust. And if we're in a situation where we kind of don't know what we're making and we're not sure if it's the right thing and we don't quite know if we, if we add this button to it, is, is, does that mean it's done now? Or are we going to have to have another meeting about what, it, when we get to stop with this thing, you know, that anytime we were in that situation of like, what are we doing? Is it the right thing? That just, we, we just didn't want to be doing that because it just didn't feel productive. And so we had a really strong bias for a long time where basically we only did things that were well-shaped because if it didn't, if it wasn't well-shaped, it just wasn't, we just weren't going to spend time on it. And we were of course in a fortunate position that Jason and David had a lot of really um, clear ideas about what they wanted to do, you know? So we kind of had a big, uh, a lot of a big, a big basket of shaped work all the time when we first started to do, you know, yeah. I, I don't think that that's so uncommon when you have uh, a startup and you have a, a couple people who actually, if you're actually trying to scratch your own itch and you know what the problem is, you're like, this is what we have to build for this thing to work. Like, I know what I need. Can we go build it or not? You know? And then, then what happens is as you start to, as you start to get bigger, then this transition can happen where you start to run out of things that you absolutely know you need to do, you know, and then you're starting to kind of make up things to do. Cause you have, you know, like, yeah. I mean, we were in the lucky situation that the product had customers. And so we had sort of this, this luxury problem of how do we spend our time when customers keep coming in and buying the thing sort of no matter what we do, mm -hmm. you know, it's not always like that, but there was a period like that. And yeah, I we, we weren't thinking about responsibility at that time. Right. But then what happened was there was this, this gap that started to open where I started to feel like um, because we had to be so sure about what we were doing, it meant that, how do I say this? Like we were biased toward action, but sometimes I was worried that we weren't doing the right thing and that I didn't understand enough what, okay. what to do. And I felt nervous about like, starting in on some project of like, okay, this is, we're going to go build this feature. Everybody thinks it's a good idea and not really knowing if it was the thing that was going to be valuable to customers, if it was going to even turn off some customers because the customer base was getting more and more varied. Yeah. Um, 
and and that's the point where we it was sort of a perfect storm of we had enough capacity that we could we could be we could continue to build things in this spirit of like we have to know exactly what we're building but we didn't need every single person around to be spending all of their time doing that so i found that i could almost kind of covertly uh start thinking about demand <laughs> you know while somebody else was building something just because we happen to have enough people around to still it was almost like um we got big enough that i could hide <laughs> and yeah. and 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 do something like that and then then the challenge became i think in our evolution when when do you come out of hiding and say um actually this 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 sort of extra thinking i've been doing and this extra research i've been doing I think this is actually necessary and, and, and important for this particular question that we're looking at right now, you know? And, and what I found was really important was that if the, the people who make the bets, so in our case, you know, Jason and David, like if they know what they want to do and they're confident about what they want to do, I don't have anything to give them. But if we reach a point where there is some feeling of nervousness or uncertainty or feeling stalled or, or kind of not knowing whether to turn left or right. And then I'm able to pop in and say, Hey, I did some, some, some digging into this and here are some really concrete specific details about what's going on out there in the world, you know, or what customers are saying. And then, and then it gives a light bulb and you say, ah, we should turn left instead of right. Then, then, then you start to build that, that relationship in that cycle of, of we don't always need it, but from time to time, we're not going to know what to do. And when we don't know what to do, there's this other type of work that we can do that feels different, you know, and, and, but it, it takes some, it takes some um, experimentation and, and, and you, you have to, you have to learn what that other kind of work is and what that feels like, you know, of, of sort of surveying the field and, 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 and figuring out like where the potential project is. Right. And, and I think it's, that's actually where we arrived at this term shaping to, to, to find a way to talk about this, this type of work that's not building inside of a cycle, but that is valuable, you know? But even within that, I think you're pointing to something really important, which is that there's even, there's even a step before shaping that we don't quite have good language for yet, which is this thing where you're where you're trying to be convex to this open field of possibilities. Yep. You know, where you're saying I don't even quite know what to shape yet, but I'm 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 putting my antennas out and I'm trying to cover a lot of uh, cover a lot of ground in order to find something that's going to help us with this higher level metric that we've identified as being like strategically meaningful. So I think one of the things that's interesting is the order of events that you described at Basecamp because um it, it jumps, it jumps out at me that there was a, almost like an allergic reaction to being in that situation where we told these people to go off and build it. And now they're coming back to us with answers. And it's very clear that we didn't sort of like mold this thing to the right degree before we handed it over. Mm -hmm. And it, it doesn't, it wasn't out of like fear of failure or lack of time or money or anything like that. It was just, we like, let's not work this way anymore. Right. The, the hard part um, for me we called it getting real. That's really what getting real was that about. Was it was real. insisting on, 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 on doing something that's right in front of our nose that we understand and seeing it come together 
moment by moment by moment right in front of our faces. So, so my challenge, and I think the challenge for a lot of people is finding a way to introduce shape up into an organization that today goes from what you described at the end, right? Of feeling around like, what should we shape up and taking those unshaped ideas and piling those onto a product and engineering organization and saying, go build these things. So it's an integration with this potential partner. It's an, it's, it's a feature for this customer. It's like, they're all sort of like piling in and um, it all fits into a broad definition of what our product strategy is or what our, what our, um, how we've defined, we want to grow the business. And so it's, it's, it doesn't move. We're not talking about like, I guess we are talking about things that are, aren't shaped up to the right degree, but it's almost like even worse than that, or even like more, um, it even has more contrast than, than that. Um, and, and so what I'm trying to get to is, um, what steps do we need to take to actually convince organizations that have people that place bets in that manner to say, here's the impact you're having on the rest of the organization. You've got people with, with a backlog a mile long. You've got people with um, 10 projects going on with a team of three engineers and, and they, they believe they're doing the right thing and they're running sort of everything down the path at the, at the, at the same time yeah. because it, it's coming at them as, as fast as possible and, and try to like transition that culture into one where you can actually sort of create the atmosphere that you're talking about and get, and get people on that other side of the table to say, we need to go a little bit, we need to go quite a bit deeper in terms of how these ideas connect to the strategic vision, how we actually shape these up and bring more definition to, um, the solution side of it, how much work, you know, what we're going to build, how much we're going to build, how long it's going to take the resources we need, things like that. And then actually do the priority prioritization and betting of those ideas instead of just, um, sort of doing, um, you know, first in first out, just sort of firing them at a, at a team. There's a lot here. Um, I, I think we have to start off with the assumption of, we have to have some sort of a conservation of energy kind of a principle here that you can't just go deeper when you're already slammed, right? And so I, I think the first, the, first, the first thing that I've been thinking about as like the, the major step to take, and this is also what I'm, I'm very happy to be seeing in the early adopters of ShapeUp, there's a, there's a, there's a shift where um, before the amount of thinking about the actual work to be done on, on the management leadership side is very thin. And the amount of thinking about what the work is to do inside of the team that builds it is really heavy and thick, right? So, so leadership says, go build a calendar. And then the team is like, what the heck is a calendar? We need to do discovery, blah, 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 right? Um, the first step is, is, is shifting that work, shifting the, what, we, what teams often call the discovery work out of the team and up into leadership and management. And, and what that often involves is, is taking someone um, who might be maybe the best designer that you have available for doing building work, um, the most sort of far-seeing designer, you know, and the best programmer you have, the most sort of far-seeing programmer, and, and kind of pulling them out 
of that um, you only build stuff sort of function and, and pulling them out into this, into this higher level where they're mixed together with leadership and they're thinking about what the work is before it gets scheduled. And then, and, and if you do that, you, you, I think you can obey the conservation law in the sense of like, we're not doing new, we're not doing more work than we were doing before. We, we aren't, we're not doing extra work. Rather, we're taking the work that we always have to do. I think we talked about this last time, the facts of the universe. Somebody has to figure out what to do somewhere and for anything to get done, right? But if we, if, if, if we take it out of this, out of the cycle, and we move it up into some very small sort of private conversations between a few people who have a deep shared context and the right domain knowledge and the right background info and access to the strategic goals and blah, 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 right? And those people are having some, some really quality hours together in front of a whiteboard in a closed door room that you can get to project concepts that are much clearer where you're doing this discovery work. But the difference is that this comes back to the convexity thing. Like when you're, when you're in a shaping session and you're not inside of a cycle and you, you stub your toe on an idea that you thought was going to work, you just throw it out. You know, you just yeah. throw, as soon as you can tell it's not going to work, you totally throw it out and you're like, well, what else? Right. And you, you, you're covering way, way, way more ground. And so you're, um, I don't know how to describe this technically, but there's this sense that like um, you're, as an idea comes, you can throw it away faster and so you have way less waste, right? Mm -hmm. And then as soon as a good idea strikes, you can go deeper on that thing. So instead of kind of like, no matter how, 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 un, how formed or unformed the idea is, if, if you put it to a team, then, then they have the same amount of time that they have to dedicate to that thing, right? Yeah. yeah. But if if you're if you haven't committed the time box yet, and you are in this open field, then then a bad idea comes and it gets thirty seconds and it's gone. If you can't turn it into something actionable, versus a better idea comes along and you start to chew on it and start to form it and and shape it and then and then now it's starting to come together and you're saying, aha, now we have a potential bet forming here. So I think that's, that's the first thing is just, it's a different kind of work with different people under different um, time structure, Yep, I guess is a way to say it. We'll, we'll find a better way to say it eventually, <laughs> you know? Um, I, think, I think the example though is, is really, really important. Just to double click on the thing that you said, like I, I can't count the number of times that I've gone into a, a shaping session with somebody and we thought like, you know, you, so these things tend to have this pattern of like, you go in with like tons of excitement. Like this is a fantastic idea. It's really going to mm -hmm. move the needle. Like let's go take it to the next level of, of detail. And then you do go in and you just get caught. Like there's something yeah, totally. I was in like an auto save conversation about like some item in our, and it's like, if you want to do auto save there, that is like a, a total, like huge project. Yep. And there's, but because of the convexity thing that you keep describing, the, the, the pain is not there. Like we ended the meeting and just walked out. Like we, there are other things that we're working on that we also have hunches that will, that will move the needle for us, like sort of our key, our key metric. And we're able to, and there's, there's sort of this unspoken thing of like, that idea is not bad. Like we're going to be back to it probably in 
a week, two weeks, a month, whatever it is, we'll come up with another way to, to think about it. But because the nature of time is so different, it's like freeing, right? Totally. Like go to the next thing, come back to it. You know, like let's talk about it in a couple of weeks, think about it, that sort of thing. Totally. And then I think, so I think that's the first shift is, is, is move the discovery work out of the cycle um, into the, into the, into the shaping zone. Um, I suspect from what we're starting to see that that's going to start off being very supply side. And that's actually a huge win to do more of the, of the um, answering the hard questions and um, making sure that everything hangs together before giving it to a team. Um, that's really, really valuable, even if you are totally in a supply side frame where you don't have much customer insight behind it, you don't have a deep understanding of the job or, or, or what really matters. Just the fact that you are, um, we talked about this with the Slapdash meeting, that you're, you're actually talking to the technical expert or you're asking the hard questions. And then when you go into the bigger meeting with the, with the, the team to kick this thing off or, or to make the bet that you can answer all those difficult questions that come up and it's, and it's like, okay, we actually know what we're doing. We feel confident about this. We feel excited to dig into it because it's not this blurry, fuzzy thing. That's a huge and win, right? It's a huge win. And, and just in terms of like measuring your progress, you might not get all the way to building something that gets wild adoption with that step, but you will get to a point where the team can pick up the idea and execute on it they'll ask you a couple questions, but they're not coming back to you with the slapdash. Holy cow, we hit a brick wall. Right. So they will ship. Right. And then the, the next layer to it, right, is now let's get demand folded in and really ship something that gets, that, that delivers value. And right. So in, in technical terms, we're kind of making this transition where we don't, we don't give fat tailed risks to a team. We, we, we do work on them to get to the point where we think, we think as much as we possibly can foresee that they're more thin tailed. And then that's what we give to a team. So it's this, like we've, we've changed the work by increasing our understanding and cutting off all of the things that could be problems with it in yep. advance before we give it down. And now I think if we've done, if we've done those things, now we get to the point where we can start to have this deeper conversation that you raised at the beginning of our talk today, which is, okay, now <laughs> how do we connect our, our new sort of um, muscle that we have to, to define a project, give it to a team, and then have them successfully ship it? How do we connect that to a strategic vision? How do we connect that to an idea of like, this is where we got, want to go and not over there. Right. Yeah. I, I think there's, there might be an interesting chicken and egg um, issue that arises that we'll have to figure out how to overcome because in the, in the existing way of working that I've, that I've proposed of sort of things just being fired at the, at the, the product and the engineering team, I think that there is the illusion that we are highly efficient. We're placing a ton of bets at the same time. And like we're, it's, I think we're kind of open about the fact that we're throwing spaghetti against the wall. Some of this stuff is going to stick and some of it isn't, right? The difficulty with moving to the model where you're pulling shaping out of the cycle is that um, whether it's true or not, it can have the feeling of like being more calculated, 
taking expensive resources and sort of moving them out of positions where they're actually, you know, shipping code all the, all the time. And, and um, the upside obviously is what we've described. You get to give engineers things that will, that will, will ship. But the difficulty I think might come into play where we've become more methodical and we don't yet have demand layered in. So you could end up with a situation where you're sort of halfway through this change um, and being faced with challenges and questions about like, well, the things that we've built, you know, still are not, are not achieving our, our business goals. So exactly. How do, we, how do we wrestle with that? Exactly. So those are, I think, two different dimensions that we're trying to optimize. There's yep. the dimension of, do we actually complete things? Mm-hmm. And, and do we, do we get, do we reach stride? You know? And, and, and then, and then, and then it's, it's actually an orthogonal question to stride. Is it actually, was it actually a successful thing for the business or not? And the thing is that if, if you, if you identify something that is going to move the needle for the business, but you can't hit stride, then you're never, you're, it's always going to be a struggle. You might be able to, um, to bludgeon everybody, you know, through, through the process. And then, and then in the end, like everybody's bloodied and beaten, but like you, you, you managed to ship something that sort of somewhat does what you hoped it would do. You know, Um, I think, I think it's healthier to, to actually solve the stride problem first, Mm -hmm. because what, what's going to happen is the, the lack of stride is what's, what's eating up all of your, all of your time and energy. So if, if, if you don't have that momentum with teams where the teams are autonomous, they can more or less self-manage with a, just a little bit of occasional check-in, you know, on whether things are going in the right direction. Yeah. If, if, if the teams are constantly having to regroup to ask, what are we actually doing? Is this the right thing or not? How do we deal with this unexpected problem we didn't know we were going to face? If they're constantly doing that, nobody has time to think strategically. Right. But if you get to the point where the teams are autonomous and they're pursuing things that are well, well defined, now some capacity opens up to say, okay, well, while the, while those three people over there are cooking on that project, I've got six weeks over here, more or less, where I can actually think. So I'd be interested, this is kind of a question out to the group of listeners here. And also it'll end up as a question to you at the end, which is, I'm wondering of the, of the people who are adopting shape up on both sides, successfully and unsuccessfully, like what level of control do they have over these knobs, right? Because one stride um, requires one set of, of control, right? Like I can kind of reorg my team and I can think about that. Input is a different level of control, yeah. right? If I have things being fired at me as fast as possible under the guise of build these as quick as possible and get them, get them out the door. Yep. Like that will have an impact on the order of events and the way that you, that you bite into it. So I guess I'm interested if anybody wants to sort of reach out and, and tell us the stories of, of that, I think that'd be cool. And then I also pose it to you because I know you're talking to a lot of people who are executing this. Have you seen that, um, that level of control have an impact? So this is where um, betting comes into the story. Okay. Because if, if, you, if, you're, if you start to have an actual betting table, as opposed to just a giant backlog that you have to do everything you can do as much as possible all the time. It means that there is now a conversation happening somewhere at a higher level about what's actually important to do next. 
what I'm surprised to, to learn is that in a lot of cases, that conversation is not happening in a formal way. There isn't actually this clear moment. A lot of times, actually, people in teams can't even tell you who really decides what they do next. Yep. Right? I mean, think about it. At a minimum, lots and lots of teams are splintered between an engineering group that's managed by somebody like a CTO Mm -hmm. and then other people somewhere else who are thinking about the design or the customer or the, the marketing or whatever. And they're trying to wrestle to, to sort of get programmer time to make things happen. But it's, there isn't actually an integration where everybody at, at the, at the executive level or at the right level of figuring out what we should all be directing our efforts toward, Mm -hmm. you know, is sitting together and saying, what matters next? That that conversation isn't happening. That's at the core. So that that gets us back to the earlier piece of the conversation is that without recognizing the constraint, like the resource constraints, right? Yeah. There, there is not the, the, the responsibility to place bets and to shape to a point where we understand the, the level of work and things like that is not felt, right? Yes. Why, why would I abandon a system where like, I can come up with an idea, guys, I need this as fast as possible. Guys, I need this as fast as possible. So we're you just keep about pushing the trade-offs down. You push the trade-offs down. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So what, 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 I, what I think is starting to happen is once you realize that we don't know, ex- like nobody knows exactly how we're making bets, we're not really making clear bets and, and you shift to, okay, we need to figure out who's actually going to sit at the betting table and how we're going to, how we are going to talk together to take the resources we have and line them up towards something that we want to happen together as a, as a business, you know? Yeah. Which means, you know, we're, we're going to take a designer and a programmer and somebody who understands the shape work. We're going to put these people together and this thing is going to happen as opposed to, you know, tickets going over to an engineering team or something like that. Right. If that starts to happen and, and you have a betting table where you didn't have one before you now from a systems point of view, have a feedback loop that you didn't have before. Because when you have a clear betting table, you have a place to go to bring shaped work to where they can, where you can get a yes or a no, or you can get more nuanced feedback. So when we were talking before about your, your notion that the metric should really be like a filter, where does that filtration happen? There has to be a kind of funneling through this filter in order for the filter to work, right? All the work has to somehow go through it. Where is the filter? The filter is the betting table. Yep. And so if, if, if let's say, let's say um, I view myself, let's say I'm in a shaping role and I'm, 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 I'm spending my time doing a mixture of sort of um, surveying the field for potential projects and, and shaping those into, into potential bets, right? If I go to the betting table and I say, here's what I prepared that I, I, I hope we can do in the next cycle, and everyone looks at me like, come on, that's, that's not at all where our heads are at. That's not what's important right now. Like, this is other thing that matters right now. That's giving me feedback of what to go pursue in the next unit of time that I have. So let's say I'm using my next six weeks 
to to go explore other possibilities and shape new projects. I've I've now been it's not only a filter on the potential bets that get shaped, it's a filter on where I put my attention to to even start creating what will become the next potential bets. Do do you think um so I think that brings us back to the sort of the inception of this conversation. I have been considering um our our well-formed jobs that we have, our understanding of our customer, and our one metric that we chase to be um, something that is critical to operating our betting table, mm. right? Where I, I feel like, so there's two things that happen. One is um, it's, it's, not an easy, it's not an easy conversation. It's not like, well, job plus OKR, and this is the clear bet to make, but it gives us a little bit of concreteness. And then what I've also heard is that he, uh, the people involved in shaping work um, don't find it terribly difficult to like decide of the thousand things they could work on. Like what are the 10, 15, 20 that they should have in their hopper and like uh-huh. get, get shaped up. Mm-hmm. And I've actually, I've actually talked to other teams and, and they've, they've said like, I get the shape up thing, but I have a hundred ideas and like, uh-huh. I don't, and, and because I need yeah. like the architect and the designer stuff, I can't, I can't like take these people's time for all this stuff. Like, where do I even, where do I even start? So I'm, I'm trying to get back to that. Like, do I have a luxury where I'm just like betting is a little bit easier and shaping is a little bit easier? Or do I have a, an absolute requirement that people need to go figure out as part of introducing the notion of betting? Wow. I think that what, what you're spelling out here is, is, is a whole piece of the process that just isn't addressed in the book. Um, which is that there is, there is some kind of a filter on what to shape and what to bet on. And that filter, this is something else that's been coming up. Um, it's okay. And it's, it's even natural and, and normal and, all, and, and perfectly all right. In a lot of cases that that filter is, is just how the boss feels today. Yep. Like, Somebody owns the business and whoever owns the business gets to make decisions about what to pursue and what not to pursue. And if, if that person has changing intuitions just based on whatever they're thinking about in the shower that morning or how the wind is blowing and, and, and you, and basically they're like the weather and, and you as the shaper or um, whoever's participating to making bets is like kind of constantly looking up at the sky to check the weather and then you're sort of figuring out what clothes to wear that day. <laughs> you know, that is, that's, that's, that's life. And, and you don't need um, to insist upon a, a framework or an algorithm or a rule or a rubric or, or some sort of a schema to tell you like how that happens. Because I think at the end of the day, that's the basic truth. Is, well, it, is, it, we, th- we could say demand comes from somewhere. Yeah, demand comes from yeah, it comes from somewhere, and by it's by def- come from your boss. Exactly, yeah. exactly, and it's it, by default it comes from your boss, and that is not an un, that's that that is actually an okay default because it's their business. Now the thing is that if your boss or whoever the boss is has a really crystal clear sense of of where the opportunity is then then you're in a good place you just do whatever the whatever the boss is 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 hinting at or 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 talking about and you'll be in you'll be in good shape 
Now, of course, that's not the case to a large degree, but it is the case to some degree because how did the business ever come together? Somebody had a good intuition somewhere, Yep. right? Somebody had an ability to read what was going out and kind of arbitrage that difference between what everyone else is doing and what should be happening. So, so, so there's, there's some quality there, right? But then what, what starts to happen, and this was sort of my experience, what starts to happen is you start to look at what's coming to you from leadership and you can start to identify that there are sort of cracks in that certainty, you know? And sometimes they, they, they really do know what to do and sometimes they don't know what to do. And sometimes when they don't know what to do, they're interested in help and sometimes they're not interested in help, <laughs> which is the really key point. So if, if leadership doesn't know what to do, but they, don't, but they don't feel themselves that they're struggling, there's not a lot that you can do as, as someone who's interested in digging into the demand or, or doing jobs to be done or whatever and saying, hey, look, I've, I, I, I can help you, right? But if you get to a point where they not only don't have a, 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 a predefined vision for themselves, but they also are cognizant of the fact that, that if somebody came to them with an idea, they would be quite happy to hear that. Here comes an opening. And, and now what can happen is you can do the jobs to be done research, you can do the interviews, you can start to, to, to be more structured in how you're thinking strategically, and, and you can introduce that to fill that gap. And then of course, once it's in, you have an entirely new feedback loop where people are saying, oh, this is a cool thing to have. I want this to be in our toolbox all the time, right? And then, and then you get to a point where I think is what you described is this, you said, you know, I'm not sure if it's a luxury or a necessity, right? And I think the story of luxury versus necessity is the unfolding of that process, you know? But then if you, if you get to a point where you, where you are able to articulate, these are more or less the jobs. And based on these jobs, these are the sort of the vectors of progress from our customer point of view. And these are the vectors of progress from a supply side point of view of where the business needs to go and now we're going to use that as a filter for shaping. Now we get to a place where we have a really nice structure to talk about how we're making all these decisions. Have you, um, have you had success or have you heard of people um, having a lot of success shaping with just that boss's intuition as the definition of, of demand? So we, we talk a lot about how shaping is 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 a combination of the problem and the the solution side of things, yes. right? We're in that murky in that murky area. Yes. Um, what kind of what kind of feedback? So I guess I'll I'll say that I haven't. I don't think I've been on that side of it. I, I I think there's something going on where I won't dive in and start to shape unless I I just um, intuitively think that like I, I'm pretty sure that I know what the struggle is and and what I'm about to go solve here. It's just a question of where your baseline is and, and what feels like progress to you from depending on where you start. For teams that um, have, ha, don't get to do a lot of deep research on the demand side and everything they do is supply side, mm -hmm. it's a huge win to, okay. to take some of those hard questions that used to stump the team when you're, you're in, you've, got, you've, you've got the slapdash meeting with the 10 people in the room Yep. And instead, you're, you're, you're answering those hard questions in advance. And then when you go to pitch the project, you, you sound like a pro and the whole, thing, the whole thing is coherent and everybody says, wow, this thing actually makes sense. Let's go do it. 
that's a that's a wonderful transformation for teams that's a huge moment for them and it's still you're still supply side it's just that supply side itself has opacity meaning you know there's a lot of unknowns Mm -hmm. that are going to be bad for you that you can't see and you need to be able to deal with the opacity on the supply side and you have to deal with the opacity on the demand side but um, the, the supply side opacity is the thing that gunks up a team and, and makes projects overrun by four or five times and makes everybody hate their life because the thing that we said we were going to do two weeks ago, we already can tell in day three is not working out the way we thought and now everything's screwed up, right? That, that alone we can deal with by asking the right questions with the right people at the right time before we make the commitment. That's fantastic. I, th- I think to, to bring it back to the beginning of the conversation, like you, you answered. So if you, if you remember, we were talking about sort of the podcast and the conversation with this other, other product manager. And I, I think I, um, I had my jobs to be done, demand thinking, um, business objective hat on, right? Yeah. And I, I was driving towards this notion of without the jobs and without an un, a good understanding of kind of your key metric and what you're driving towards as a filter, you know, everything downstream is going to be different. And I think what you've highlighted is like, you can, you can start from both ends. Yes. Right. I think you can start with shaping, starting to restructure the way the team thinks about their time and get wins on that end of the equation while you go at, I still, you know, if we step away from a shape up conversation and step into a true product management business success conversation, you're going to need to work that leading edge, right? If, if your boss is nailing the demand every time you're going to be fine. I suspect a lot of people listening are going to say, yeah, I get, you know, my CTO is driving a refactor right now and my CEO has mm. some cockamamie idea and yep. I'm stuck between that stuff and no, nothing's going anywhere. Right. That's that, yes. That's such a beautiful starting point. Let's just even sort of take that as a cartoonish example this, the CTO wants to do the refactor CEO has cockamamie idea, right? Yeah. The, the whole notion is, okay, put the CEO and CTO together in a room and get them to agree about what's important to do next. That's the fundamental shift to having a betting table. And, and so, but the important thing to point out is like, while, cause that's not, that's not a conversation. That's not a meeting. At, at least, at least the, the stories that I've heard, that's weeks and weeks and months and months of work because those first thing, those first conversations are like, we can do both of these. We got a great team. We've overcome obstacles. Like let's go. Mm. And while you're sort of forming that betting table, understanding what drives the business, trying to get people to prioritize and take on that responsibility, you can be working the other side and you can be doing shaping based on the existing impacts that are uh, existing inputs that are coming at you from the existing structure. Yeah. The, the, the only I think place where you would get into trouble is if you, I don't think you can get very far with shaping unless you can put the shaping before the betting happens. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, so you can have, because if, 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 if you're not able to get in front of the bet, then you're just where you were in the beginning, where you're inside of some, somebody committed time to do something and you got to figure it out no matter what, because it's already been committed. 
that that's that so that 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 gets us back to the beginning of how do you because the the right level the right type of responsibility has to lie in the right group or at the right yes i keep saying level of the organization because i'm envisioning this hierarchy i know that's yes. not always the case but it has to lie at the, at the at the at the right level yes and and i think there is some latitude here so it doesn't have to be that it's either the very very top or nothing um you can work backward from how, how do commitments happen so there's a lot of layers of of sort of implicit betting that happen in organizations. So for example, um, you might have a team that is in some sort of a scrum environment and every two weeks they're meeting to do sprint planning. You know, mm -hmm. that is actually a kind of mini betting table in a way, yep. even though it, it might not have the right people and the right conditions around it. There is a decision being made. There's some resources available and there's a decision being made about how to allocate those resources. Okay. Right. And so you can come to that moment with, with, and say, we want the things that we, that we allocate to be more shaped than before in order to improve our outcomes. Mm -hmm. Right. But you're not going to be able to get too far if you're only working two weeks at a time, you know? So then you can, if you, if you, if you can step back and say, um, what is the thing what is it that actually sort of is the input to the sprint planning? It's some sort of a bigger thing that you're supposed to be kind of chipping away at. Yeah. Well, where is that happening in the organization? Yep. Right? So it, it's kind of a, I think, I think there's, a, there's a sort of a sleuthing that you need to do to look at the current organization and see where are decisions being made about how people's time gets used and then work your way sort of step by step up, up, up as far as you can go to the point where you're actually talking about sort of the bigger project and not just the, 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 the tasks at hand. I think that's awesome. I think, I think that might be a good place to, to land it to let's, let's um, let's see where people take this and see what they come back to us with. Cause I think that's, that's a great, it's a great takeaway to kind of go and do that investigative work and, and try to dig in and say um, if it's unclear, how resources are being committed right now and how things are, are for how projects are formed right now to kind of go, go figure that out. Yeah. And that, that process is going to look very different. If you are a, a product manager who's in the weeds of things, trying to make, trying to make things better. Mm -hmm. And then you're working very much from the inside and out. Or if you're a CTO or a founder who's looking down at the whole thing and saying, come on, like we have to find a better way. And then yep. you can make, you can make bigger changes from, from further back, further back up the stack, you know, from yeah. the start. So it's, a, it's a very much a question of sort of where you sit in the organization and, and being able to, f to sort of see more clearly where you sit and then, and then look at the problem through this lens of where the bet's being made. Awesome. Great stuff, man. Yeah. Let's leave it there for today. Thanks. Talk to you soon. All right.